Grace and peace be yours from God our Father and from our ascended and ever-reigning Savior, Jesus Christ. We project our thoughts onto other people. We assume that other people think like we do. We even do this to God sometimes. But you know what? Other people don't always think like we do, and God certainly doesn't think like we do. In Isaiah 55, he tells us, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. James and John learned just how different God's thoughts were from their own when they came asking Jesus for glory. Instead of receiving their request, they got a lesson in what true greatness is in the eyes of God. May the Holy Spirit bless us through his word that we may learn that same lesson. We read from Mark chapter 10. First of all, just verses 35 through 37. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. We'll pause there for now. James and John were brothers. They were also fishermen, a team of fishermen who worked on the Sea of Galilee. And it appears that they were also rather bold. We know this for a number of reasons. First of all, Jesus gave them the nickname, the Sons of Thunder. Second, we have their own words. On one occasion when Jesus was traveling up to Jerusalem, there was a certain village who didn't want to welcome Jesus along the way because they knew that he was going on to Jerusalem. James and John thought this was exceedingly rude, and so they asked Jesus, and I quote, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And of course, we have the words in our sermon reading where James and John seek to obtain the highest seats of honor and glory in heaven simply by being the first to ask for them. Now, when you read their words, at first it seems like James and John are asking Jesus to agree to give them something without telling him what they're going to ask for. I'm not sure if that's exactly what was going on there, but apparently this is something that ancient kings used to do. They would promise to give some kind of gift 
before actually knowing what that gift would be. I guess it was a way of boasting about your greatness. I'm so great, you can go ahead and ask for anything, and I'll give it to you. And that won't hurt me one bit, because I am that great and mighty. King Herod did this. You probably remember when he was so pleased by the woman who danced at his birthday party that he promised to give her whatever she asked for, up to half of his kingdom. What a foolish idea. If that's what James and John were doing, giving Jesus the opportunity to boast about his greatness, Jesus doesn't play along. He doesn't need to boast about his greatness. He's going to show the world very soon his quality. No, instead, Jesus simply asks James and John what they want. Not too long before this event, the transfiguration had occurred. Jesus had gone up on that mountain with a few of his disciples, and he had allowed his glory as the Son of God to shine out. James and John had seen that. Perhaps it was that that tipped them off that something pretty important was going to happen soon. And they apparently thought, Jesus is going to be coming into his kingdom. We need to ask for those seats of glory soon if we're going to do this. But Jesus had to break it to them. It doesn't work that way. There are some things you don't get just because you asked for them first. We read from Mark chapter 10, verses 38 through 40. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. We'll pause there again. Think about it like this. There are some military medals that are given for very specific things. The Congressional Medal of Honor is one of these. It is the highest military honor that is presented for valor, for acts on the battlefield. It is given to a person who has gone above and beyond the call of duty while engaged with an enemy of the United States. Or maybe you've heard of the Purple Heart, the medal that is awarded for those who are wounded in battle, sometimes even giving to the next, given to the next living relative of one who has died in service to their country. But what if I mailed a letter to the White House asking for a couple of these? Hey, Commander-in-Chief, I'd 
like to get a couple of those medals. Can I have a couple of those? I think they'd look pretty nice on my jacket. Doesn't work that way. You don't get to have these medals bestowed upon you just because you ask. Jesus says it's the same when it comes to heaven's high seats of honor and glory. But he doesn't just tell James and John that they don't qualify. He asks them a question that should have made them think real hard. Are you guys ready for this? Are you ready to drink from the cup that I'm going to drink from, the cup of suffering? Are you able to endure being baptized by your own blood as it courses down you from your own wounds? And the sons of thunder reply with all the bravado we, we would expect. We are able. And they would drink from the cup of suffering as Jesus did. And they would be washed over in their own blood. Jesus tells them so. But the places of honor in heaven were not for Jesus to hand out arbitrarily because someone had asked him. In another place, we're told that these seats of honor were for God the Father to give. So the cleverness of James and John didn't pay off. In fact, when we read on, we'll find that it backfires a bit. The rest of the apostles heard about what they had requested, and it made them upset with James and John. We probably would have felt the same way. It does seem like a bit of a weaselly move to try to get those seats of honor just by asking before everyone else. But with James and John on the one side and the rest of Jesus' apostles on the other, Jesus sees an opportunity to teach a lesson that these men needed to hear. We read from Mark chapter 10, verses 41 through 45. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Earlier I said that we project our thoughts onto other people and it's true also that we project our, the way things work on earth onto heavenly things. We assume that things will be somewhat the same in the presence of God or in his mind as they are down here on earth. 
Here Jesus tells his disciples, that is certainly not the case when it comes to greatness. The disciples were well aware of how things worked in the world. The great ones in the world were the ones who wielded authority over the other ones. The ones who had climbed all the way to the top, who were not just great, but who were number one. They were number one because they had subdued the rest. They overcame. They climbed the ladder of success right over their competition. You could see this in Rome. In Rome at the time, it might mean that you got rid of your competition by poisoning them or having them assassinated or drowning them. I used to listen to a podcast called The History of Rome. And man, there was a whole lot of things that were done, gross things, done in the name of power and money. And things today haven't really changed all that much. Today there are still violent takeovers, political murders, poisonings. And in the places where these things don't happen, well, there are other ways to climb over your competition, assassinating their character, or boasting about your own, so that people will think that person is great. There are plenty of paths to greatness in the world. But Jesus tells his followers, it doesn't work that way in my kingdom. My people don't employ these same methods. Let's hear his words again. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Among Christ's followers, greatness comes from service. Among Christ's followers, if you want to be number one, that's going to mean that you are going to be a slave to all. I think we found another one of those hard lessons, haven't we? To be great, you must serve others. And to be number one, this is intensified. To be number one, you have to be willing to be more than just one who serves you have to be slave to all. What does that mean? I mean, we're not really familiar with slavery, not up close. We have to learn about it from our history books. What does that mean? If I was a slave back in time sometime, how, how would I actually serve as a slave in a single household? Not slave to the world or to everyone, but how would I serve just in a single household? What if the master's daughter told me, well, my laundry needs to be done. And then at the same time, I got a command from my master to run some kind of errand. And then that was when I was already beginning to to get supper going for the whole household. What then? How am I supposed to be slave to all then? Well, I'd have to prioritize. I'd have to order things by their importance. 
I would think that the master's command would probably get the first spot. But depending on how urgent that command was, supper might be after that or maybe above it. And perhaps the laundry afterwards. It's the same in our service to one another. We have to prioritize according to God's will. And this can be hard. This can be difficult. But perhaps we're getting too detailed here. Overall, Jesus wants his followers to serve one another and to serve the people around us. He wants us to have a heart like his, a servant's heart. After telling his followers that greatness in the kingdom of heaven comes from service and being number one from absolute service, Jesus gives them the greatest example to follow, his own. Look at verse 45 one more time. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus refused to become an earthly king when that crowd of people who had loved the miracle bread wanted to make him king. He would not use his power to topple the Roman government and set up his own empire. That was not what he came to do. He would not gather wealth for himself or fame or anything else that humans love. He came to be our savior and everything that he did served that mission. He came to live in holiness, to die in agony in our place and to take away the punishment for our sins forever. Jesus came to serve us. He came to slave for us. We remember those 30 silver coins. He was sold to his enemies for the very price of a slave. Jesus is the greatest one. He is number one in the kingdom of heaven. Like Paul wrote, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. James and John were bold when they came to Jesus asking for glory. But they were only bold in an earthly way. Jesus was bold in a heavenly way. His greatness was not to be established by dominating nations or by military force or by superior skill or strategy or wisdom. He had all of those things. But his greatness would come by service, by the giving of himself completely. With these words that he speaks to the 12 apostles, he invites us, the rest of his followers, 
to walk that same road, the path of greatness. Not in the eyes of the world, not in our own eyes even. He invites his redeemed children to walk the path of greatness in the eyes of God. May Jesus, who redeemed us by his blood, make us like him. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.